0: Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles, please. Turn to Romans chapter 1. We won't need the slides, Brother Judge. Romans chapter 1 this morning. And so let's turn there, if you would, Romans chapter 1. I'll give you a little bit of a preface to my message this morning. Um, one of those ones that the Lord has kind of changed over the last few hours. And so uh, Romans chapter 1. I guess I'll back up to last night. And uh, last night, my wife and I went away yesterday for a little while. In the afternoon, we were over near Grimsby. And, and uh, on the way home, years ago, uh, I guess when we first got married, 29 years ago, almost 30 years ago, we, uh, we worked at this place in Burlington. And right next to the place we worked, even right in the same plaza, was a uh, little restaurant. And it was a Mediterranean restaurant. And there was a fellow that worked in that restaurant, and he also worked with us. And so sometimes at the end of the night, he would bring over some leftovers. And it was some of the greatest, greatest food. It was good. We enjoyed it. And uh, one of my favorites was called Montfort Chicken. Montfort Chicken. And so last night, as we were coming from Grimsby, we you know, took the QEW and the Red Hill Creek Expressway and the Lincoln Alexander Parkway across. And I said, let's stop. They have one of those Montfort restaurants up on the mountain. Let's stop there. And so we did, and uh, I got the Montfort chicken. And you say, what is Montfort chicken? So it's grilled chicken, and it's got all kinds of Mediterranean spices, and it's grilled with pineapple. It's got pineapple all through it. I love it. They take, you turn me off. You didn't want to hear this. <laughs> then they take pickled onions and dice them up and, and caramelize them, and they mix that all. They pour that on top, and then garlic sauce on top of that. I mean, it is good. But the problem is, like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, did not our heart burn within us? (laughs) And so at 4.30 this morning, I'm wide awake after eating that meal last night. It was worth it, let me tell you. It was worth it. So I say all that to tell you that I woke up early and I couldn't get back to sleep, so I finally got out of bed, I guess around 5, and and got downstairs. And I I started reading and praying and, and contemplating on, on some things that I had heard this week, and received a call, and received a letter, and uh, of a church and an old friend that that uh, in my mind is struggling. They don't think they are, perhaps um, many others do, and it's it's coming down to doctrinal issues, getting off into some strange areas, and it just it just kind of. I began to study it out. I thought, well, I'm not gonna judge unless I have studied it out and made sure. And I I began and the the scripture just kind of jumped off the pages and said, No, this is what the Bible says, and this is what the Bible says. And and and, you know, it kind of just always what we've been taught about salvation uh, rang true in my heart and mind. And and I began to study the scriptures. And so I'm not gonna give you all those scriptures this morning, but I I realized early this morning, and as I was praying about it, and 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 then I went to my office and after the choir practice this morning, I was sitting there and I, I began to read about it some more and pray about it some more and jotted some notes down on a, on a piece of paper and I just thought you know I'm going to save that for this afternoon and I'll, I'll look at that when I go home and, and then as I was sitting here the Lord says it is so important that as Bible believers we are able to clearly state what we believe about salvation Amen. that's of utmost importance because my old friend, if it were just a peripheral thing, if they were just off in the weeds about, if they said, well, I'm not sure about this doctrine or this doctrine, or, you know, I, I think Jesus died on a Tuesday rather than a Thursday or a Friday or whatever, we, you know, we'd say, okay, the important thing is Jesus died for our sins, amen? I wasn't there. I remember at my ordination, somebody asked me the question, when did the church start? And I answered the question to what I believed, and uh, this group of preachers over here started arguing with this group of preachers here, and they argued with this group over here. They all had a different opinion when the church actually started. And, and I, I, I finally, I concluded, they, they looked at me for an answer. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the 25-year-old trying to answer all these preachers, you know. And uh, Pastor Strachan was the moderator, and he finally said, it doesn't matter what all you think. We're here to examine his doctrine. He says, what do you think? I said, well, now I'm more confused than ever. I'm going to be honest with you. I said, here's the thing I do know. I wasn't there when it started. And I'm sure glad there's a church that we can be a part of today that Christ died for. I don't have a date. I have a period of time where I see a transition take place. And so we can argue about those little things that don't matter. But we better be sure about salvation. Our eternal fate rests upon that singular doctrine. You could go to heaven one day, honestly. You can, you can stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords one day and say, you know, Lord, I, I really thought the rapture was going to be a little bit later than it happened. And you can still get into heaven. You can stand before the Lord and say, I thought I thought Jesus was born on a Tuesday, but I got up here and found out he was born on a Thursday or a Friday or whatever. I thought he died on this day, but and it won't matter so much. What will matter is what have you done with Jesus? Have you trusted him? There's a movement and it's an old movement that has kind of revived itself somewhat. It it started in the 1800s and died somewhat with its founder in 1913, but it has continued on and reviving now in, in in a lot of ways that there's this idea of two different gospels, one for the Jew and one for the Gentile. That the Jews were saved a different way. I appreciate the verses that Brother Roberts read this morning. Because as the, as the angel was announcing to the Jewish people, Joseph, that Jesus would come, a Jew, and he would save his people, the Jews, from their sins. The Jews were saved by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I understand they might not have understood the entire gospel message as Paul has given us the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin according to the scriptures, and he died, and he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. They may not have understood or foresaw the cross of Calvary or foresaw the resurrected Christ, but they believed in Jesus. They believed in Jesus, and I want you to look at the gospel message with me today a little bit, if you would. And perhaps there's somebody here today that says, I, I don't even know what the gospel is. We have a, a varying ideas of the gospel. When I was a child, I, I, I remember in Sunday school, somebody had a little walnut. And it had a piece of paper that would come, you could pull it out of that walnut, and then they could crank it back into that. It had a little crank on the end, they'd crank it up, and it'd go back. And it was called the gospel in a nutshell. Do you ever remember seeing that? And you pull that little piece of paper out of that walnut and it would have John 3.16 on there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And perhaps you believe that that is all there is to the gospel. And friends, if if you were to be here and and that's all you got out of the message today that God loved me so much that he gave his son Jesus to die on a cross. and, And if I believe in him, I can be saved. That's a wonderful thing to take home today. You can know you're saved by believing in Jesus. There's a lot of things that I don't understand about Jesus, but that doesn't mean I can't be saved by putting my faith and trust in him. The angel declared that Jesus would save his people from their sins. John the Baptist, before Jesus ever died on a cross, before he ever did one miracle, Before he ever walked on the water or healed the blind or healed the lame, he said this, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Before Jesus Christ would go to Calvary, he would take his disciples aside and he would say to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father but by me. See, friends, here's what we know from Acts chapter four. There is neither salvation given among men uh, whereby we must be saved. There is none other name given among men but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We put our faith in Jesus alone for salvation and by his grace, he will save us. That's all there is to it. Now, there's a lot of doctrine that surrounds it. There's a lot of things that we will learn and grow in in our faith, but the simple f- fact is this you're a sinner. Jesus is perfect. And he took upon himself your sin and he paid its price by dying on the cross and shedding his blood. And now we can come to him and believe and be eternally saved by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. So let's clearly state the position of salvation this morning. And if you would, turn to Romans chapter 1. And if you're there with me this morning, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to be very clear when the scripture is clear. Help us to be silent when the scripture is silent. May we add nothing to the word of God or the doctrines of salvation. Lord, I pray that you take this very simple, these very simple thoughts this morning that I've just scribbled out, and Lord, speak to our hearts with them. God, I'm burdened and grieved, Lord, that after 2,000 years of gospel preaching, and those that can be trained in the word of God, we can still so easily get off into a ditch somewhere but for the grace of God. Lord, help us, Lord, just to take the very plain sense of Scripture. Lord, not just today, but every day. Help us to believe what it says, not just about this world, but about our own lives. Help us to apply it. Help us to live it. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that if there was ever a time in history where we need to be students of the Word of God, it's today so, Lord, make us students, we pray, and may the Spirit of God illuminate the words to us, help us to see, and help us to understand. We'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome. You'll remember in the book of Acts that near the end of his ministry, he was taken, and he would, he would go there to um, Caesarea by the sea. There he would be in Herod's palace for two years, being held now when I say a palace, I don't believe he was in the inner parts of the palace where Herod would, would visit and, and uh, we've been there. We've seen the great swimming pool that is still, it's buried by the ocean a little bit but through the waters you can see the outline of a, of a swimming pool and you can see the, the structure that once stood there and, and it wasn't in that part obviously but in the courtyard somewhere there'd be a cell or a room where Paul was kept and in those two years he was waiting to go to Rome. He had a desire to go to Rome. He wanted to stand before Caesar. He wanted to give the gospel to the king of the known world at that time. He wanted to look Caesar in the eye and tell him, there's a king greater than you. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And at his name, ye shall bow even your knees, Caesar. And you will pay homage to that king of kings. And so as Rome, as Paul awaits his trip to Rome, and he writes, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And So Paul gives his greeting as he normally does. You'll notice he starts this epistle just simply Paul. Paul was his Greek name. Saul was his Hebrew name. Saul was given the name Paul because he would become the apostle to the Gentiles. It was his ministry to take the gospel where nobody had taken it before. The the apostles had largely taken it to the Jews, but not exclusively, and we'll see that this morning. But Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, so he would start his epistles by saying, Paul. You can notice that in many of Paul's epistles, simply Paul, identifying with them as a, a Greek name or a Gentile name. And he says in verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, and without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means... Now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. And so Paul is saying, I want to come to Rome. And he's thankful for those that he's heard who profess Christ and they have a faithful witness of the gospel and understand if Christians are being persecuted, Rome was the very seat of that persecution. It was there that Nero would light his gardens with the bodies of Christians in years to come by setting them on fire. I mean, it was an incredible uh, a pit of humanity as as Satan had taken hold on that stronghold of, called Rome, and, and the Bible says that Paul's had a desire to go there. And in verse eleven, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the natural or the mutual faith both of you and me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you but was led hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Now look at verse 16. Paul is speaking here and almost like he was In in an oratory, he's writing it down. It's a letter to be read, but it's almost like there's a pause between verse 15 and 16. He says, "Uh, I can't wait to get to Rome and I want to have some spiritual fruit among you people as well and I want to see some more souls saved. I'm thankful for your faith, but boy, I'd love to get there and preach the gospel to you as well. But then it's almost like he pauses and says, but I know what you're thinking. You might come to Rome and die for preaching the gospel, So he says in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto them that believe to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The word shame there doesn't mean like we mean it today to be embarrassed by something. I'm so ashamed. You ever seen somebody arrested and they take them from the courtroom and and they're taking them back to jail and they'll throw their coat over their head and it covers their handcuffs a little bit and it's because they're ashamed of what they have done. They don't want their family to see them or perhaps they're not ashamed personally but they don't want to shame their family or their mother or their father's name and so they they hide their face. But that's not what this scripture means. The word ashamed here means to shy away from To hide it within our hearts and not share it. Because of some perceived danger or threat. Perhaps today we are ashamed because of embarrassment. We don't want to share the gospel with the lost and dying world because maybe they'll laugh at us. Maybe they'll ridicule us. Maybe family dinners will become uncomfortable. Maybe there's those who won't want to be around us anymore. Maybe I'll lose some friends. or Maybe we are ashamed because we might lose our job. We're ashamed because somebody might want to put physical harm. There are places in the world like that today. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. As Paul says, he is not ashamed of the gospel, we have to ask ourselves the question what is the gospel? What is the gospel? I just want to say today, and this, this is very much humanly speaking. I believe the gospel is the entire book of God. From Genesis to Revelation. You say, Why is that? Because even in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, I can see that God, when man first sinned, took a lamb and shed its blood as a picture of the Messiah that would come and shed his blood for the sins of the world. I I believe that God was building the gospel from Genesis chapter 1 right through Revelation chapter 22, and in the end, we can see that those that are saved can come and take of the tree of life freely. The message of salvation can be found throughout the word of God, but when we boil it down to what we say, uh, if if a sinner or uh, somebody asks the question, what is the gospel? If Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, if there's a gospel message that I need to hear uh, more preeminently than any other message of the Bible, what is that gospel message? Paul gives us that gospel message. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul is writing now to the church at Corinth. And he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are, what's that next word? Saved. I'm going to read it again. By which also ye are what? Saved. Saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, thou that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. According to the scriptures. Verse 5 goes on to verify those facts. He said he was seen of Cephas or Peter, then of the 12. And so it was verified that the Lord Jesus Christ was risen from the grave. But friends, all we need are the scriptures. The Bible says the gospel message is this in verse 3 and 4, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He said, well, if that's enough, if Jesus died on the cross, if he was buried and he rose again and that's the gospel message, then that's just good enough. Friend, that is not good enough. You say, what do you mean, preacher? The devil believes those very three things. Satan believes with all his heart that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. He saw it all. That is not enough just to have the gospel. Notice what the first two verses say. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have, what's that next word? Received. Received received here's the difference satan believes but he's never received there may be somebody in this room today so i believe the gospel have you ever received christ have you ever made it personal i believe that pew is sitting there on the front row i believe these flowers are on the platform they don't do me a bit of good You say, well, are those flowers for you? Yeah, those those flowers are for me. I I believe those are for me. But unless I pick them up and take them home, I've not received them. It's a gift. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Do you know what grace is? It's a gift. Something that God gives us that we do not deserve. And how do we receive it? We receive it by faith. So look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, I preach unto you which also you received... And wherein ye what? Stand. We don't just receive the gospel, we live by the gospel. It's not just a moment in time where we bow our knee, it's a commitment to following Jesus Christ as our Savior and we, we believe him with all of our hearts and we live a life that strives to glorify God. Listen, what I'm saying is that moment you got saved, whether you bowed your knee at an altar or beside your bed or in your prayer in your heart one night as you cried out to the Lord for eternal salvation, that moment you got saved, you were saying to Jesus Christ, I want to live for you. I want to follow you. It was a life transforming decision. It changed your life. Aren't you glad it did? Otherwise, there'd be no hope for a drunkard, there'd be no hope for a drug addict, there'd be no hope for the lost and the wandering in the streets. If all they could do is just believe the gospel is out some there somewhere and pray some prayer without any faith, but oh how their life can be transformed when they receive the Christ of the gospel! How he can change them from the inside out if they would only trust him and believe. Then verse two, he says, "By which also ye are saved; ye are saved." If you keep in memory, that which, if you have it in your heart and your mind, he means, when I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. That word vain means empty, unless you had an empty belief. Sometimes I've seen folks get stirred up by emotion and pray some sinner's prayer, and just days later, like nothing ever happened in their life, they're back to their old life. That's, that's believing in vain. There's a transformation that takes place when God saves you. His spirit comes in. Listen, his spirit comes in and he seals you under the day of redemption. That means he marks you as one of his own. He he puts his hand upon you and the father puts his hand around that and no man shall pluck you out. Oh, I believe that as Christians, we can backslide and we can sin and we can can fall. The Bible even makes provision for that. Brethren, if a man be overtaken and to fall, you with your spiritual restore, such one in the spirit of meekness, It happens. There ought to be a change in our lives and the Spirit's conviction ought to come in and when we do fail, it ought to break us. That is transformation. That is salvation. So Paul says the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, but it only affects those and we are only saved if we receive it and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. That was Paul's gospel. He said, Well, you said earlier that you thought maybe there's two gospels. No, I, I never thought that. But my friend feels that there might be. And I want you to notice the contention with this old doctrine that is reviving itself somewhat. Perhaps you've heard of it. It is repackaged and called today the Grace Movement. Now, listen, I believe, in great, I believe in grace, amen? I believe I live in the age of grace, and I'm thankful for that, but there's a movement called the Grace Movement or the Mid-Acts Movement, the Book of Acts, A-C-T-S, not A-X-E, Mid-Acts Movement. And they espoused these kind of beliefs, and they believed that the apostles preached a different gospel because they were reaching the Jews, But I want you to notice what it says in Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people. And he prayed to God always and saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour on the day of the angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa. And call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. So here's Cornelius. He's a man that loved God. I don't know how he heard of God. He was an Italian man, he was a Gentile. And I don't know what got into his heart. I don't know if he had been observing some devout Jews. I don't know if he had seen some Christians and how they behaved. And somehow he said, I'm going I'm to follow God. I'm going to just love God. I'm going to be devout. I'm going to read the scriptures and I'm going I'm to follow God. And by the way, the only scriptures they had were the Old Testament. They did not yet have the Gospels written. They, they had the testimony of Jesus Christ, but they did not have written Gospels. So he's reading the Old Testament. He's trying to understand. He's trying to grow. And he is giving alms unto God. And he's doing sacrifices unto God. And he just loves God. And God said, here's a man that needs Jesus. I don't know what I'm doing, brother. I'm going to do this. I'm going to grab this one. Just shut me off. The Lord Jesus Christ looks down and he says, there's a man who needs Jesus. And so he gives Peter a vision and he calls him over to meet centur- uh, uh, the, uh, the centurion and he takes him to uh, Cornelius and you'll notice the Bible says in verse nine, on the morrow, when they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray And about the sixth hour and he became very hungry and you'll remember the sheet let down with all the animals and the four-footed beasts and animals that Jews were not supposed to eat. And God said, rise and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, that's unclean. And the Lord was trying to teach Peter, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean. And through that lesson, he was trying to teach Peter, you need to take the gospel also to the Gentiles. And you'll notice down in the, in, as we read on, <clears throat> Verse 17, now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were, went from, uh, were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. While Peter thought on this vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from the Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. And and what is the cause whereof ye are come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa Accompanied him. Now, verse 24, we see Peter meets Cornelius. And on the morrow, after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends, and as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know, How that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying as soon as I was sent. For I asked therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. Cornelius said four days ago I was fasting until this hour. In the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard." And Thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, that word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Now listen, here's what's important. Somebody that says there's two gospels in this doctrine that has risen itself once again will say that Peter and the apostles preached a different gospel than the apostle Paul. Let's examine Peter's doctrine. Let's see what he has to say. That word I say, verse 37, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from where? Galilee when? After the baptism which John preached. Say, okay, well maybe he's gonna preach before Christ died on the cross. Maybe he's going to preach that before he rose from the dead. Verse 38, how God appointed, or anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Now oh, wait a minute, that sounds like he's preaching the crucified Christ. Does it not? The man Jesus who they slew and hanged on a tree. Then the Bible says, verse 40, him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Peter is preaching the same gospel as 1 Corinthians 15. That Jesus died for our sins according to the gospel, was buried and raised the third day according to the gospel. Peter and Paul are preaching the very same thing. And notice what it says as we read on. While Peter yet spake these words, verse 44, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision, the Jews, which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Jews believed the same thing. Nobody objected and said, Peter, why are you preaching to a different gospel? They believed the same thing. They were astonished that the Gentiles could be saved, but they weren't astonished at the gospel message. And the Bible says the Spirit fulfilled and in verse 42, and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead, to give him all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Now, there's another oddity about this doctrine. They believe that the Gentiles that get saved today, by the way, if you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. And I'm a Gentile who got saved. They believe that baptism is not for this age, that you don't need to be baptized. Notice what Peter did with these, with these Gentiles, verse 42. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify, sorry, verse uh, 47, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? Which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. What is the gospel? That Jesus died for your sins, was buried and rose again on the third day. Peter and Paul both preached the same gospel. And when the people believed, The Spirit of God fell upon them. Friends, that's the only way to eternal life. It's through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I want to just look at one more passage very quickly Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter. Are you with me this morning? We're almost done. Hey, I am so glad that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same for everybody. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having to learn a different gospel for every tribe or tongue or nation? Now, I'll be honest. I am overstating that position. They believe Jew or Gentile. But God is not the author of confusion. Confusion. God is not the author of confusion. He made a simple gospel for simple people so that I can just simply put my faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. Believe and be saved. Believe and be saved. Hebrews chapter two, verse one. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest any time we should let them slip. Doesn't it sound like Paul was writing for a day like today? Those things you've heard, those things you've learned, those things you've put in your heart, the things you know about Christ, the things you know about his word, you, you need to give heed to them because they'll slip. How, how many of you have forgotten more than you've learned? I, I mean, I'm telling you. The other day, the other day, uh, Brother Calvin was on a field trip. Went to the aquarium with all the kids in school. And uh, so when they needed somebody to teach gym class, they came to the next athlete they could find me. And so I had just come back. I, I went to the funeral for uh, uh, Mrs. Bergsman 's mom. And, and I just got back. And so I'm in a suit. And I'm in a suit and tie. And so I, I got to teach gym class in suit and tie. So I went over. That's fine. And so I... I took my jacket off and I started playing basketball with those kids. And I remember when I was, when I was 12 years old, seventh grade, I went into a, a basketball free throw competition. You stand on the free throw line and just make shots. And I got pretty good at it. And I went, I, I won in Dover and I went to Delhi and I won in Delhi and I went to Brantford to the provincials. And, and you know, I lost in the provincials. But I, I got pretty good at just shooting those free throws, just standing there shooting them. And I, I'm thinking, I'm going to show these kids how to shoot free throws. I said, get on the line. And there was Nia and Azalea and Chris. And I said, get on that line. We're going to shoot free throws. I couldn't hit anything. My mind told me this is easy. I mean, there was one time I hit 43 out of 45 shots. I, it just it became muscle memory. My gym teacher was so good at it, Mr. Bob Morrison. He, he, could, he could take the ball, he'd look at the back, so he'd turn his head and go like that, and he'd hit it every time. He didn't have to look because it was just muscle memory. He just had the the motion in his arm. He knew how to hold the ball. He knew how to spin the ball, how to snap his wrist, how to bounce his knees, all the rest. He could just hit it every single time. And it becomes muscle. You can do that. If you just practice something enough. But the Bible says we need to keep practicing his word. Lest you let him slip. And notice what he says. Let's read that verse again. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And so he's saying, he's saying, what are the things we ought to exercise? What are the things that we ought to rehearse in our minds and make sure we know and and hold dear to? He says, the number one thing is salvation. That's the most important thing. So he says in verse three, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by who? The Lord. When did the Lord speak that? Before he died. Right? Didn't the Lord Jesus Christ say, I'm the way, the truth, and life while he was still on earth? Didn't Jesus Christ say, I am the bread of life? Didn't Jesus Christ say, I am the resurrection and the life? Didn't Jesus say to the woman at the well of Samaria, he says, if you knew who I was, you would ask for a drink of living water so you never thirst again. He was the living water. He was the bread of life. He was the light of the world. He was the lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. That was Jesus. Even before he died on the cross, That's where the gospel originated with. It's about him. And it says, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by who? Them that heard him. Who's that? That's the disciples and the apostles. They follow Jesus. They learn the gospel. Some believe that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Does it sound like the Apostles had a different gospel? He's saying no. The gospel is the same that Peter preached and the Apostles preached. It's putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And believing in him for eternal life. It was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders. And with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. That has to be the apostles. They preach the same gospel. Listen friend if you don't know Christ today. We search for so many things. And I wonder sometimes if that's not what this is all about. Somebody saying, I just have such a burden. Paul said in in Romans that he had a burden. His burden was that for Israel might be saved. In Romans chapter 9, I believe. And there's preachers today, uh, John Hagee is one, that says that he believes that the Jews are saved a different way. They don't have to come through Christ because of Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, that they have been exempt from this eternal plan of salvation. My friend, he shall save his people. From their sins. There were many Jews that came to the Lord Jesus Christ and put their faith in Jesus Christ. The apostles were all Jewish men who trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. If that was not necessary, then Christ would have never had to die for them. Do you remember who Jesus first came to? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Jews have to be saved by grace through faith. And you have to be saved by grace through faith. And what I mean by that is putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. You are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in him, his grace will impart this wonderful gift of salvation that can transform your life today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I wish I had more time Father, I pray that you would just take this feeble effort at declaring my position in the salvation of the Gospels. Lord, would you work it into somebody's heart today? It wasn't a carefully outlined sermon, it wasn't some thought out oratory, but I pray that it might be something you could use. I pray that the scriptures that were shared would convince the heart of their eternal need of Jesus. Oh God, I pray that you speak to us during this invitation time and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. and With our heads are bowed, let me, let me say this. Maybe there's one here today that doesn't know Jesus. There's a a great verse in 1 John chapter five that says this, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. All one-syllable words. So simple to understand. You either have Jesus or you don't. And we'd like to take a Bible today and show you what it means to have eternal life. How you can know for sure you're saved through Jesus Christ. If there was some other way to be saved, his father would have never let Jesus Christ die on a cross. But there's salvation. There's neither is there salvation in any other. We must come to Jesus to be saved. Is one to say, Pastor? Would you pray for me? Slip up your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise. But could I pray for you? Is there one, Pastor? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I have eternal life. Is there one? As the piano plays, maybe there's something just need to thank God for your salvation. Praise God for what he's done for you today.